Gracious God, we thank you for the opportunity to give back a portion of what you have blessed us with. Use it to your glory and the furtherance of the good news of your gospel. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please remain standing now as we hear the reading of God's word. The reading of God's word comes from Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. To still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the fields, the, bird, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of our Lord. You can be seated. Thank you guys for the um, opportunity to, to come here and we're here, so try not to be too distracted by that, but um, I, I, I guess I will feel at home then being here that there's a cardinal watching me. Um, so anyway, but it, it's, it's been a real pleasure to, to live here again. For nine months, um, I'm amazed at how predictable, I was telling the elders earlier, how predictable the weather is um, with, you know, you just know it's going to be hot, humid, and then especially in the summer, get a little shower. So it, it's been really neat. Um, so I have uh, two beautiful daughters, Margo, who is four months, and Tilly, who um, is two years old. And that is probably why I look tired, because I am. Um, but they are, they are the joys of... Um, my, me and my wife, Sarah, are uh, our life, and so I've been married for five years. Uh, she's a great helper. She's also a, a great minister um, along with me. She does a lot of ministry with the women um, at UCF. Um, if you don't know anything about RUF, um, I'd love to explain um, it to you a little bit more after the service. Um, it's, a, it's a great ministry. Guys, you should really um, be proud of, of the work that's being done through this denomination. It's the uh, ministry, it's the campus ministry of the PCA um, through the Central Florida Presbytery, which uh, this church is part of. And the mission statement is simply to reach and equip students for Christ. Um, and so what that means simply is that I, I pastor students at UCF. Um, we have large group meetings on Tuesday nights in a lecture hall. Um, where on average I preach to about 100 students a week. So it's, really, it's a really great opportunity. We also have a lot of people who are non-Christians or skeptical um, of the faith. We have several committed Christians, several people who just struggle. And so it's a really great place. And, and it's really a beautiful time in a person's life because, as many of you guys know, since you've gone through that stage, it's extremely foundational. It's extremely um, formational, rather. 
rather, um, formational time of a person's life. So I'd love to talk to you more about that and um, more about the opportunities that are there. So we're looking at Psalm 8 this morning, and the Psalms is such a rich and a unique book uh, because they provide us with this emotional response to the scriptures through singing. And they help us connect the dots from one part of the story to the other. The Psalms were sung by the entire congregation of Israel. So, I mean, just imagine this group a hundredfold. I mean, it, it's just in, incredible to think about it. Um, where thousands of people in this context are singing about the marvelous works of creation. It's just an absolutely amazing thought. And so this psalm, though, may come as a challenge for a lot of us um, because of maybe how we approach the scriptures or our spiritual life. And so if, if your church or your um, spiritual experience is anything like mine, and a lot of the PCA churches that I've attended, there's a great emphasis, rightly so, but there's a huge emphasis on the deep, sinful nature that each person has. And so the, the theological term is total depravity. And so in most churches um, that I've been to, the idea of sinfulness and darkness of the heart is really the primary starting point. Uh, but if we understand the flow of the story of Scripture, we see that there um, is actually a creational beginning to it. That there is that deep, dark, depraved state, which is the fall. There's redemption, of course, through Jesus. And then there's also this, point, there, there's also this part called restoration, where, we are, where all things are made new. We that was spoken of beautifully in, in the context of the service. But typically we focus on the fall and redemption, that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and that Savior comes through Jesus. But it's vital for us to know about creation and redemption as well. And creation especially is vital um, in, here today because we're going to talk, because this text uh, speaks directly to it. So I love watching a new show, and um, as another point of confession, I'm kind of a, a huge fan and, and a slightly an addict of Netflix. And so I, I love to get into the intimate details of, of TV shows. And in the past decade or so, there's really been a big shift uh, that's happened with a lot of the shows that are pop- popular that actually highlight this idea that I talked about of depravity, of darkness in human beings. And so like our churches, they, they really focus a lot on the fall of a person um, or a character or an institution. Um, so some of the ways, and, and, and sometimes they actually do show some redemption in the hearts of those people or in the institutions. Some of these include shows like Mad Men, Breaking Bad, or House of Cards. That they tend to almost glorify this darkness and evil that's in society. They glorify the manipulative and conniving ways that people can advance in society. And when I think about it and I'm honest about it, I'm drawn to these types of shows because they contrast my life, or at least I believe they do. I can also think that I'm better than the people in those shows, um, like the ones that I mentioned. But, so maybe you don't enjoy watching those shows like that, but the local TV news cycle um, there are always really hard things that happen. There, we, we kind of see the, the deepest, darkest, most sinful parts of our society, um, and often we're in the comfort of our own, own homes. I'm 
very guilty of this myself, as we see the chaos all around us. And our culture, many of us, kind of feed into this idea that we crave, in some strange way, the deep uh, darkness and depravity. Yet we really kind of fail to think about the effects of that. For one, we can become suspicious of what happens in our daily lives. Is there anything that can truly be good in this world? We can ask that. And this feeds into relationships. Plus the fact that we've probably had a lot of people that have hurt us. Um, Either they've abandoned us or neglected or have been mean-spirited. We've experienced hurt ourselves, And so we tend to be untrustworthy or afraid to get close to people, afraid to have friends. I share all this because as we flip over to Psalm 8 and hear of the glorious things in creation, sometimes we can kind of treat it like fiction. I know that I can sometimes. And maybe that's why some of us, and maybe even more so some people in our family and people that we're close to distrust Christianity. Because they, and maybe some of us, have seen the facades of people who claim to be living good, happy, healthy lives but in fact are complete wrecks. And I'm not here to dispute that idea that people are wrecks and that they're broken, um, because living in the world is messy. Yet the perspective of the psalm is one that recognizes the ultimate goal and created intent for all things. The glory of creation is what is emphasized here. And so this psalm drives us to care for the creative matter, and particularly for human beings who are made in God's image. So there's three points I'm going to pull out of this passage. First, that God created all things for his glory. Second, that God created humans uh, to be the most cherished creation. And then third, that Christ has come and died for that cherished creation. So first, God created all things for his glory. So this psalm is built on Genesis 1 through 2. As I said Uh, The beauty of the Psalms is that they connect us with other parts of Scripture, reminding us of what has happened. So let me read the first couple of verses here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was, was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. So there's a repetition that happens in chapter 1 of Genesis where God creates something and it is good. And, of course, we get to day 6 where there's a ton of things that are created, including animals and human beings. Um, And at at the end of day 6, he says that it is all very good. It's as if David, the writer of this psalm, is kind of ruminating on Genesis 1 and thinking about how marvelous God's created world is, and here he is gazing into the sky, looking at the beauty of the stars and the sky. And you have to imagine that he is also thinking of the other created things, Um, the trees, the mountains, the animals, the cardinal, that remind him of, of God's beauty around him. And something to note here is that our Lord, the first Lord that's mentioned there is, is probably in all caps in your Bible. And that is meant to speak of the covenantal God, um, or Yahweh. 
Lord in this way means that God is intimately involved in our lives. Intimately involved in all of creation as well. That he cares specifically for creation in a very minute way, in a very detailed way. David uses these words to worship God and his design of all creation um, as he looks around. And there's also an important theological term to talk about here. It's general revelation. And that means that God uses the works of creation and providence to reveal his work um, on the earth. So general revelation proves to the world, everybody here, that there is a covenantal God who cares for us. General revelation, though, will not save a person from their sins. It simply shows the imprint of God's majestic work in the world, although it can lead a person to search for God. And it really, it really ought to because of just how, how beautiful our created world is. General revelation is why you and I and some of the most horrible people in the world, like the, the brutal people of ISIS, can see the beauty of a sunrise or a sunset and be able to recognize that there is a God who is, um, who is part of that, that we can enjoy it. And yet, as Romans 1 says, that we are without excuse because we see the beauty that is in creation. What's amazing about God's beauty in creation is that we can't get away from it. We can't hide and, and get away from the beauty. The grand nature of the galaxies and universe are marvelous, and it causes us uh, to wonder how billions upon billions of stars can cause the night sky to be illuminated as it is. And in my personal study in college, I was a pre-med major. I focused on the studying the human body, and for many people, studying science in college and beyond can lead you away from any kind of religious lifestyle, but really it, it was just the opposite uh, for me. And, and it's encouraging to, to speak with students who are going through the same experience. Um, as I began getting more and more in-depth with the creative work of God in microbiology and the immense study of how the body works in physiology, I was more worshipful. I, I was, was brought to wanting to worship God just as, as David is here. And one class was especially interesting. In my study uh, in genetics, we talked about the great detail of the unique individuality of each person from the genetic level. So twins, for instance, can appear to be mirror images of each other. You may, they may even talk exactly the same. They, from our vantage point, they look identical. There's really no difference that you can see. But they have particular qualities in their, in their genetic makeup that when viewed from that level, you see enough distinction to recognize the beautiful uniqueness in which God created them personally. Um, and so it's this amazing reflection of God's handiwork for each individual person. So you may not have the opportunity to study these subjects, astronomy or microbiology or things like that, but, um, or even care about them, but you have an opportunity every single day to bask in the, the uniqueness of God's creation. No tree is exactly the same. No cloud in the sky, no sunrise or grain of sand God creates all for, the, for our beauty and enjoyment, and he creates it particularly for itself. And so this must change the way we look at the world. 
It allows us to, to look around at the world and see that we are living in God's masterful creation. God is an artist, and he has, he has put all of these things for our enjoyments and for his glory. And we can easily get frustrated with our circumstance. I was even thinking about this as I was driving here, and there was someone very slow going in front of me, how I can so easily just get frustrated with something as petty as someone going slow and not be able to enjoy the, the really cool uh, mist that was happening in Orlando and the sunrise. and I mean, it was just a beautiful picture, but I can so easily just get upset with that one guy who's going 15 when he's supposed to be going 30. I'm sure, you, I'm, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you guys can understand that. Maybe you're, one of, you're maybe one of the 15-mile-per-hour people. Um, but it encourages us that God has his hand on every piece of creation if we look around and are able to enjoy it. So maybe you're going to the beach today or this week and it allows you to look at the waves differently. That God providentially allows each wave to look unique and the uniqueness of a, of a sunrise over the Atlantic. When we have a hard day, we can gaze upon God's great intricate work on something as simple as the palm tree and be reminded of his care for that tree. So when you look upon that, those things, do you consider God's glory? So God created all things for his glory. Secondly, God created humans as the most cherished of all creation. David uses some really strong language here to describe God's relation to man in light of all creation. He says, after he looks around at all of the beautiful, at this artwork that God has done, And he says, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is man that you are mindful of him? And so this passage understands, or assumes an understanding of Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 28, which says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the the several things that he mentions. So humanity is to have dominion and to rule over this creation. And so what is being expressed here is this idea of stewardship. And so stewardship, oftentimes in a church setting, we think of giving. Um, your money to the church, which is definitely a part of stewardship. Um, it, it's also an act of caring, preserving, and ruling over the world. So we're asked to steward this, this beautiful artwork that God has, has given to us. We may not be as large as a killer whale. I don't see anyone around here that's that big. Um, but we have the, the ability to wrangle them into submission. And this example can go with really any animal, plants. Or tree in the world. God created humans with the ability to care for the earth, to care for what he filled it in. And I could say much, much more about this, but understand that we as Christians are to care about what's around us and care about what God has created for us. David is in awe of the responsibility God has given mankind here. <clears throat> he follows this by speaking of the Son of Man, who who God cares for. And this section ought to be highlighted in our Bibles, ought to be something that screams out Jesus 
because Jesus is the Son of Man uh, who's been being spoken here. Not only is the create is it created under humanity's dominion, but also human beings are the wonderful creation that the covenant God has created. So regardless of how you have been made to feel or even feel at this moment, you are cherished among all of creation. God is intentionally thinking about you. He is intimately invested in the reality of your life. And that is, that is everyone here. That is all of the people that are among us in our lives, even those that aren't attending church today. So the, the, the theological term, I feel like I'm giving a theology lecture, but I hope it's real, is uh, common grace. And common grace is the truth that God has placed his beautiful handiwork on each creation. And each human being is able to express something beautiful about God. Every single person, even the person who we don't think may be worthy, we don't, we don't think has anything good in them, there, there is a piece of, of God's grace that is coming out of them. Common grace allows our consciences to be freed from enjoying things that are created that we deem beautiful. Okay? So God's created beings are able to show his beauty and his thoughtfulness in their actions, even if they are really, really far from him. So let's think about the beautiful artwork that can be created in the world. And if you've ever been to a place like the New York Metropolitan Museum of Art, you have seen some of the most magnificent pieces of art uh, from people created uniquely in the image of God. And, rather, but if we recognize the motives, lifestyles, and relationships that some of these people had, it might question if it's right that we enjoy these pieces of art. So let's take, for example, Andy Warhol, extremely famous artist. Uh, Warhol is, is, is one of the most famous artists in America, especially in modern art. Um, and his, his works are part of the fabric of our society even. Yet, Warhol lived a life that I doubt anyone in this, in, in this room would agree of. Um, he had various homosexual relationships. He um, produced films that we would not want to see. Let me just put it that way. And near the end of his life, he was so disturbed that he actually mixed the, the paint that he used with some of his urine uh, to create something that he thought would be even more over the top and that he somehow thought was beautiful. So when we look at Warhol's lives, life, we can see plenty of depravity or sinful things about it, right? But the beautiful work of God's creativity also comes through his creative art, such as the pop art that was done by, uh, of Marilyn Monroe. So is it okay for us to like Warhol's work? Absolutely. Why is that? Because God used him, and, and there is an imprint of God's work on the way that he produced artwork. Now, not everything should we enjoy because it's created by, by human beings. That, that is a fact. But a lot of times we, can, we as Christians can get to a point where we need to see a Christian message or a, um, or, or a, a positive example 
Um, and, and we can sometimes doubt that, that even a person that is disturbed like Andy Warhol can produce anything good and beautiful and worthy. Another example, and this is super bizarre, so hang with me, comes from this show called My Big Fat Gypsy Wedding. Has anybody seen that here? No one's willing to admit it. There's one. Okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> so I've become fascinated with gypsies since I went to Northern Ireland about 10 years ago. Um, because uh, th- there was a group of people called the Travelers that were there. Um, and and I had never interacted with, with people like this in my life. And so from my vantage point of getting to know them and even watching this show, and, and like many reality TV shows, they pick the most extreme examples of society. Um, and here you see these kind of nasty people not having a common place and yet having these extraordinary, extravagant weddings. The men fighting all the time, women scantily clad, they're just nasty types of people. And so my tendency is to want to distance myself or to hate them and truly to rule them as scum. To rule them as scum, to forget about them, to think that they're not worthy of any good thing that I can bring in. And in, in my heart, when I, when I look at it really closely, I don't even know if they're worthy of Jesus which is so sad. And yet, the application of, of hearing all this, and you guys are probably more disturbed than when you walked in here today, is that it is something that Martin Luther King Jr. said. There are no gradations in the kingdom of God. There are no gradations in the kingdom of God. Every person is made in God's image. Every person is worthy to bask in his creation. Every person is worthy to know the Son of Man, to know Jesus. So who are your gypsies in life? Who are the scum that you think of? Is it people that are loud and boisterous? Um, Those who wear tattoos, maybe. Um, People who are really emotional or really erratic, uh, really unstable, Do you think that you are even scum and you're unworthy of knowing Jesus? Are you able to recognize the beauty that God has created in a person, even if you don't agree with the other things in their life? If someone is different from you, do you suspect that they're bad, that there is simply badness that is in them and that there's no commonality at all? If they're different in their actions and their image, And so how does this change the way that we interact with our neighbor who may be very different from us, maybe doesn't know Jesus? Maybe our son who's fallen away from the faith, or maybe our cousin who has hated us because we're Christian. So getting to the last point. So God created all things for his glory. He created humans to be the most cherished in all creation. And then thirdly, Christ has come and died for his cherished creation. So we learn in this passage that the Son of Man cares for us. If we flip over to the New Testament, we see in Mark chapter 10, these beautiful words that Jesus speaks. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and lay down his life for many. This is such a strong and beautiful statement here. The Son of Man is spoken of in the passage in Psalm 8 who David recognizes is greater than any man who was to be 
special and highly exalted among all of creation, comes down for his chosen people to live a perfect life, to serve them, and to lay his life down for them. Here's what the author of Hebrews says, and he actually quotes uh, Psalm 8. So in Hebrews 2, it says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus stooped himself down to the earth to gaze upon the stars and the creation in which we were made. So think about that. All of these things in which we see, maybe not in Florida necessarily, but all of the beautiful handiwork Jesus has seen himself with his own eyes in our same situation And Jesus tasted death on our behalf so that we don't have to. So that we can have a glorious relationship with God who created all these things for us and created us for his glory. So in conclusion, this passage draws us to an appreciation of the world and the God who has made it. It pushes us to think of the greatness of God and what he has made. It also pushes us to consider the high standing God has given man and the work of Christ on our behalf. Appreciation for that. God gives us an opportunity to enjoy the earth without fearing that we're slipping into environmentalism, which I know is is a fear of mine that that I would be slipping into environmentalism if I'm enjoying the trees outside. He also allows us to enjoy each other without feeling like we're slipping into some kind of secular humanism. He allows us to enjoy Jesus as the most grand thing because he has come and died and won the victory on our behalf. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you.